0: All right, welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. My guest today is Andrew Bins, that uh, you go by Andy, right? That's right. Yeah, and, and he's a couple of things. He's the director and founder of a really interesting company called Change Logic, but uh, he just wrote a book called Corporate Explorer How Corporations Beat Startups at the Innovation Game. And we really wanted to have him on because this whole podcast is predicated on how startups can disrupt big corporations. Um, and this is sort of a very contrarian point of view. So, Andy, um, Thanks for joining us. And what, what made you decide to write this book?
1: Well, firstly, Bradley, thank you very much for inviting me. And I love being a contrarian. So uh, thank you for, for calling me one. Um, you know, what, what brought us to this book was experience working with corporations that actually do lead disruptive innovation in their markets. And our observation is that uh, it doesn't get much press. It is not as exciting to say, Microsoft reinvents itself again, as opposed to we launch a new fund, or we we, we uh, IPO'd, or we become a unicorn. These are more eye-catching, um, headline-grabbing achievements. But there's many corporations who are doing extraordinary things, and we wanted to tell that story and encourage others to replicate their results.
0: And so... Tell me why we sort of have this, this stereotype that innovation only comes from you know people in a garage, um, and that corporations are sort of get so slow and bureaucratic that they can't innovate. Um, why does that stereotype exist, and how accurate is it?
1: Yeah, and and, and you know it it, it it's always um, difficult to dispute something that has truth on its side. Right. <laughs> and, 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 the, and the reality, Bradley, is that what you just said is absolutely true. Most large corporations are. Bureaucratic, slow. They have a bias towards safety. Um, it's really tough to get them to move fast enough uh, to capture opportunities that are right in front of them. And so there is this just weight of reality of evidence. I used to work at IBM, and IBM had all of those things uh, happening uh, uh, within it. So there's no doubt that this this is this reflects. Our experience of 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 corporations struggling, and of course, there are all these great cases—not great cases, alarming cases—of corporations that uh, go bankrupt in the face of disruption. Um, And so, you know, the the weight of experience and evidence is undoubtedly on the side that this is a tough thing to do. But it's one of those things, Bradley, where it's a both-and argument, right? Just because. We know that it's hard and it causes the destruction of corporations and the rise of brilliant innovators in startups. And I'm not knocking any of the work of startups and entrepreneurs and venture-backed businesses. But it's also true that this other thing is going on, that real innovation is happening in corporations.
0: So in the corporations that are able to still do real innovation what is it about them? Is it their leadership? Is it their culture? Is it just how they invest their money?
1: Yeah, a little, a little, little all of the, all of the above. Let me, let me give you a couple of brief examples and we can talk about them in more depth. But I want to I give you two that we talk about in our book, Corporate Explorer. And the first one is uh, uh, of a case of LexisNexis. LexisNexis uh, is uh, and was a legal information and news service. Yep. You're a law firm, you log on to Nexus, you get a whole load of information. It's great, case law, et cetera, et cetera. Um, was a, a dot .com, uh, before there were dot .coms, right? And It was a, a dial-up information service started in the 1970s. Yep. And then around 2000, it creates this new business, Nexus Risk Solutions. And it observes that it has the asset of public records information, very strong brand, very strong balance sheet, and what it does is over a period of ten years, it assembles its own assets, builds some assets, some new assets, acquires some assets, and builds what is now uh, a multi-billion-dollar, what we might call big data analytics business, which is actually larger than the original LexisNexis, and this is an extraordinary. Sort of story of scaling um, new businesses. Go ahead.
0: And so, just in in the the person that both came up with the idea to do that and pulled the trigger, what did they have to overcome because of a corporate mentality?
1: Yeah. And and the the story of, in that case, um, uh, Jim Peck um, is one of a middle manager who sees an opportunity and they have to build support. Uh, uh, within the organisation to get this done. They have to sort of be able to articulate the the opportunity and do so with enough excitement and ambition to make it worth um, uh, the the senior leaders engaging with. Um, And then be able to demonstrate that that they know how to get started. Right. Uh, and to get going on this. And indeed, Jim, originally, you know, he has this idea. He tries to pitch it. He actually leaves the company because he's like, oh, I'm never going to get it done. Joins a startup, finds out how hard a startup is and comes yeah, back.
0: Not, not, not easy. Yeah.
1: Right. Um, he comes back again and this time uh, gets the attention of the CEO Andy he uh and gets going. But let me let me answer the question another way with a different example. This one's more recent. Um, so uh, I've done some work with this Austrian insurance company based in Vienna, serving Austria, Central um, Eastern European clients, got like 10, billion, 10 million customers, 6 billion of euro revenues. And sitting in its Hungarian business is a guy called Christian kurtish And Christian says, I see an opportunity to reinvent insurance. We have lost sight of what insurance is all about, which is... Communities pooling risk together and yep. you know supporting one another. And he says, "Let's reinvent this for the digital age," and he creates this new uh, concept we call share risk. Uh, and it's 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 about being able to pool risk and then use the profits not just to um uh to to to, to for the profits of the co- corporation, but also to reinvest in the community. Right. So that people can actually band together.
0: Yeah, we we, we had invested in a, a startup called Lemonades so with a similar yeah. kind of concept and there you show. go. So,
1: yeah. There you go. And 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 you know, Christian is there doing equally radical innovation but within um, uh, but within an established corporation. And so and, yeah,
0: ahead, and
1: he, for him, part of the 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 case of how does he get this done is is a few things. Firstly, he's gotta have an ambition that's actually worth paying attention to. In his case, it's like let's rather than having a tower block of uh, administrators, policy administrators, let's have two people who can um, who can uh, back the um, the administration of the policies, and make it work. The Second thing he's got to do is he's got to uh, build social capital in the organisation. This is one of the things that is really important about this role of the corporate explorer. They tend to be insiders who have. Good connections; they're they're a part of uh, of a community. People know them and trust them, and so he's going to leverage that social capital to get attention in the business. The third thing he's got to do is teach the senior executives what it means to run a, an emerging or nascent enterprise, because they're used to running something so, that's mature. So he really understood that his job. Was not to leap straight for a certain you know plan and promise them the moon, but rather to say, "This is my idea. I don't know how far we'll get, but give me enough money to get started and prove this much, uh, and then we'll t- talk about the next thing." And 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 he's fortunate, undoubtedly, he has a CEO who's ready to learn with him. But but you know he has to be in that mindset. I'm going to have high ambition. I'm going to build the support in the social network. And I'm going to teach the executives uh, how to think about things as a, a series of experiments.
0: How often are executives willing to kind of relearn uh, the way that they think about things? And how often do they have that level of kind of self-awareness and modesty?
1: Yeah, it's it's a tough thing. Um, I think that it, the, the number is increasing, Bradley, because firstly, we no longer have a dispute about whether disruption exists or not. You walk into any boardroom, C suite, anywhere in the world, and the question is not, does disruption happen? It's is it gonna to happen to us? How long have we got? Right. right? It's very rare that people deny that. That's changed. That's changed in my lifetime. I've been doing this kind of work for twenty-five years, and and that's really shifted in that in that time. This the second thing is I think we also know more about how to build uh, new enterprises than we're used to. This sort of more formality of the tools to ideate, incubate, and scale ventures. So again, that I think makes it real. And and I think what we're trying to do is build the third proof point, which is look at the evidence that firms are doing this because it is happening. Uh, and and that I think increases the odds that you'll see more executives understanding that having corporate explorers on their team is actually essential to success. Right,
0: right, almost by definition. Uh, if a CEO reads this book you got to imagine that they would like the idea of having someone that they can identify in their team to, to do that are there yeah. particular sectors that are more friendly to kind of this internal disruption approach than others?
1: Um, that's an interesting question I think I think the tech sector is always more receptive because they've seen so much of this happening right um, and I think that it is tough to get retail um to really engage because their their time frames are so short um and i've always found it that retailers are are really struggle to kind of know how to break out of this day-to-day mindset in the middle it, it distributes um there's a lot of um uh, interest in in financial services nowadays, partly because obviously of uh, of the fintech um, sort of revolution that that that, that, that that's ongoing, uh, and so I think the more that you sort of can see the emergence of these threats and and your ability to maybe code them as opportunities, um, that, that that you see industries starting to uh, to move faster. And it,
0: it, oftentimes, when a CEO does this, um, is it sort of with the support of the board, or do they have to sort of Convince the board that everything they know might not be true, and and we've got to rethink everything.
1: Yeah, I, you know, in in my experience, um, uh, the board is definitely one of the biggest sources of inertia, um, and uh, and they and, and that remains that that would be a good topic for our next book, Bradley. <laughs> would be, you know, how to manage the board because that is that is a toughie, and and to some degree, um, those that succeed. Um, manage to do it in a way that doesn't expose too much of this to the board before they've got some tangible results. Uh, Because I think boards struggle with, um, uh, and understandably, uh, they struggle with um, uh, the impression that uh, managers will be sort of going off piste and doing Dangerous things that that might you know cause them you know some some sort of exposure or liability, right? Um, and um, public criticism, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And so I do think that um, now. Well, one of the interesting things is this: though. so 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 the the assumption is that this is all about public companies, right? That public companies get yeah. this exposure, you end up on um, CNBC having to de- defend yourself, etc. Thing is, I work with a bunch of private companies some of the largest privately owned enterprises in the world. And they have the same set of dynamics. So there's something here which is also about human psychology and about that tendency that we have to really like the idea of opportunity of the new, the future, but somehow when it comes to having to give up something we've got right now in order to get there, we become more hesitant and less likely to act. So there's also a human dimension.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems to me right. So I teach at Columbia Business School and it feels like the students who want to disrupt and rethink everything automatically feel like they should go into tech and, and into startups, generally speaking, or a handful of disruptive companies and then people who are more conventional kind of go to the the big corporations. Um, is it hard to get that kind of talent um, to come work for a, a big bureaucracy?
1: You know, um, I think it is. A, I think talent is a major challenge, unquestionably, uh, and um, and indeed one of the innovations that we that we describe in our book um, is a corporate explorer who is solving that pr- problem for Deloitte. Right? How do they use more crowdsourced talent and so on? Um, so so that that is an issue. But to some degree, I, 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 that doesn't figure too much into what we're talking about at this point, because most corporations are not short of ideas, right? There are lots of ideas in corporations. Secondly, they, they don't need many corporate explorers to get this started. And usually they're insiders. They're already there. You just need to stop and listen to them. And they're not necessarily the people who are most um, noisy or creative or any of this kind of stuff. They're usually people who have a, a more exploratory outlook, are deeply committed to customers, really get driven by something about a customer that a problem that they want to solve. And that's that's true with entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs tend to be obsessed about some area of the world that they want to go make yes, an they impact do. to. Yes,
0: Explorers they
1: do. are very similar. And, and and that they have this social capital. That's one of the key ingredients of success. So, so I think, yeah, hiring new talent's an issue, but that's not what you need to do in order to solve your innovation challenge. Indeed, one of the key uh, contributors to f- corporate failure in innovation is hiring an outsider to do it for you, right? And I'll, t- I'll tell you a story uh, about why um, that, that we do this is... is um, this was a, uh, a European insurance company, and we'd help them to uh, form an innovation unit. And one day, I'm walking through the canteen with the head of HR, talking about uh, their plans, and they haven't yet decided who's going to lead this new innovation unit. Uh, and she turns to me and she said, ah, we've solved that problem. We've decided to go outside to hire someone, because that way, if it fails, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. In other words that innovation person yeah. is expendable right? right and and they've posed no threat to our system that's the last person you give something tough to you give it to your most experienced um uh, highly socially networked reliable you know respected leader because that isolates the problem of their performance right you don't you you, you then can learn They can learn. They can do the experimentation. And you're not saying, oh, is that because Joe or Jenny is just a bad leader? You know, oh, that actually is their learning because we know we trust them. We've seen them perform in the past. And this is one of the things that really um, there's a lot of failings that people make by reaching outside to solve this problem. Yes, you need to go outside. Yes, it's good to get more talent. And yes, it's good to engage with startups. But that isn't the answer to these questions. That's just a part of the solution.
0: So is it possible... It, while it's happening to kind of notice the corporate explorers and and see the change and disruption inside of a big company? Or does it basically always require kind of after the fact the, the story being realized and told?
1: Yeah, good. That's a really nice thought. Well, so um, yesterday I spoke to a corporate explorer who's live and in motion, Yoki Matsuoka at Panasonic. And Yoki is, uh, you can look her up, she was in the founding team of Nest Um, she's at Google, she's at Apple, and now she's at Panasonic. And having been uh, an entrepreneur, she's like, I really prefer being a corporate explorer. And I like being a corporate explorer because the commitment I have is for longer term. And it is not, how am I going to pay out this fund? It's actually, how do we recreate Panasonic for a new era? Uh, and it's it's a fascinating commitment that they have. When a corporate
0: explorer has that kind of idea and they want to drive it through, does it have to be something that does not require short, short-term short sacrifice in the sense of, you know, CEOs are very focused on every quarter's earnings and, and expectations and yeah. what the analysts are saying. Um, yeah. it, it, will people do things that are directly against their short-term interest to allow this kind of innovation or does it have to be kind of coterminous with it?
1: Yeah, I think I think doing things that are against your short-term interest is really tough and likely not to be a good idea anyway, right? Um, because corporations actually get themselves into trouble by spending too much too early. Look at what GE Digital did. Um, they, uh, uh, GIF Melt, overinvested in uh, industrial IoT um, sensors and data for improving operations in manufacturing and before the market had matured or it was even clear what the need was they just piled money into this thing ge predix right and and you know the the the, the thing that that does is it commits you too tightly to one way of serving a market need um, and the the real approach you need to take is lots of little experiments right uh, and i bet that you know what's left of g digital and it still exists Um, is doing much more of this experimental approach now because that way they don't need one big commitment. They need lots of little commitments to learn until they're ready that they understand the market need. They know how to to serve it and they know how to scale it. And then when they push the button on the investment, it's with less uncertainty.
0: How much correlation is there between a, a culture that encourages corporate exploring and then ultimately that company stock price and if so, I mean, has anyone thought about or have you thought about, like, could I create a fund based on identifying uh, these companies and then investing in them?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I actually got started on this work years ago with a friend at McKinsey, um, uh, Dave Thompson, who wrote a book called Blueprint to a Billion. And he uh, studied uh, the patterns of um, high-tech startups and you know what got them to a billion fastest. And he created a fund. Uh, based on his uh, book and his research. We haven't done that. I think that would be an interesting thing to do. There is correlation between culture and performance. Uh, the Harvard professor, um, um, I forget his name now, um, the one who did the uh, uh, burning platform stuff that I disagree with in other contexts, but anyway, <laughs> um, did, did some good research on on showing this correlation. I think you can do that. Can you isolate it for corporate explorers? i, I I'm not sure. Um, I certainly, when I look at um, uh, a firm like LexisNexis, um, uh, I think they they have a vibrant uh, culture, but they also have a very operational culture. And part of this story is learning to do two things at once: that even as you are executing on your current business with discipline, and with cost controls, and all of the things that, you know, maybe not a lot of fun, you're allowing somewhere else in your business, more um, openness, more license, more of that experimentation. And so it's not necessarily uh, about transforming the entire corporation to get this done. And this is this notion of ambidextrous organization doing two things at once, created by uh, a, a Columbia business school professor name of Michael Tushman who is now at Harvard and co-wrote this book with me. Uh, and and that sort of twin um, approach to organizations um, does enable you to make progress without having to transform the core business. Now that said often you're doing this because it's a cultural incubator too. You, you're wanting to bring something about the future back into the core business because because of what you're doing but you don't need to do that
0: right because there, there was a time when all these companies were really young and hungry and future oriented and exciting places to work right even if even if the corporate cafeteria wasn't as nice. Um, so I can imagine yeah there's just a significant benefit just recreating that that atmosphere to some extent so if That's you're right. if you're a startup founder listening to this podcast, what what have you learned that they should know that they would normally kind of dismiss because they just think they're the ones you know they're the disruptors, um, but but what should they know?
1: Yeah, so so watch out for the corporations who've figured out how to use their assets to go faster, because all of the things that you want to buy or build they've already got very often they've already got the customer access they've already got the trusted brand they've already got the um, uh, the product assets very often innovation sometimes comes from great technical breakthroughs. But even then, it needs lots of other assets around it to make it really get adopted and to scale. And most corporations already have it. It's sitting right there. And it's just a matter of, can they get out of their own way to make it work? Uh, And so those corporations that do, uh, I think, have an advantage. And you should be careful, as a startup, of getting too close to them in their markets.
0: So if we look at kind of the the, the biggest tech companies today, which are considered to be the most innovative, are you able to sort of give a prediction of like, yes, this has a corporate explorer culture and it will yeah. continue to be successful? Like, If I threw some companies yeah. at you, t- tell yeah. me whether or not you, you think they've got the right corporate explorer culture, uh, go, Google. Go on. No. Why not?
1: Um, Google, I mean, it's quite interesting press research on um, articles on on uh, the CEO having this sort of closet where all of the good ideas go to hide, right, that, that basically... <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and I think it's become so uh, operationally obsessed that it's sort of driving out anybody who introduces variation. There are a few uh, indications they have South Africa, what it's called now, that they have this uh, new unit going that they're not talking about uh, that may represent some, some interesting innovation. So maybe there's something else going on there. But all evidence at the moment is no.
0: Uh, Amazon.
1: Yes, big time. Amazon's like almost premised on this notion, right? The the uh, firstly just the process of how they do this, the PRFAQ process, um, which is that you know anybody can say well, here's a customer problem and here's how we're going to solve it, and they um, they do this. Um, the the PR is a, a, a press release describing customers' reactions uh, to the innovation. Right, so it anchors innovation in the customer problem, um, and then uh, they have what they used to call the two pizza team. You know, now I think it's single threaded teams. You know, just enough people uh, that can be fed by two pizzas to go turn incubate this idea, and then they spin up new ventures, new units uh, on a frequent basis with a significant degree of independence. But they're still leveraging the Amazon brand management system. Uh, And, you know, they conform to the APIs, So there's still this linkage back, um, which makes it such a powerful recipe. Okay, Apple. Um, I'm not sure. Um, I, I I, 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 yeah, I'm really not sure. I worry about Apple. Yeah, Um, they're
0: always sort of a black box. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, it's clearly a phenomenal engine of innovation, but I think it's within a a, a narrower um, confine. I know that, Tim Cook is really focused on healthcare and, um, and healthcare innovation. So maybe that will emerge. Maybe suddenly we'll see the Apple um, autonomous vehicle driving down the streets. But I, but I guess I'm a little skeptical. I think whenever any but whenever a company builds a big expensive spaceship campus, beware, um, because it means that they're talking to each other more than they're talking to customers. Right.
0: That's the first sign of the decline. Uh, what yeah. about Facebook?
1: Um, yeah, I think ditto. I think it's um, it's struggling. Uh, I think it has a fundamental problem uh, with its sort of legitimacy as a as a as a part of you know society. I think people really question its role, uh, and I think um, uh, you know innovations like TikTok um, show that there are other ways of meeting its original need. That I think it's I think it's going to struggle. Does Facebook's kind of
0: attempt to own and define the metaverse going kind to of change that is that an example of okay on some level they get it or or do you think that they're still kind of in
1: trouble i i think it's i i no i don't know for sure but 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 no no but 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 it suggests to me that that actually they haven't learned the lesson because they're conceiving as the metaverse more as theirs rather than everyone's Right. So rather than thinking how do we create yeah. this as an open platform, um, um, they're like, uh, let's be a bigger brother rather than right. you know, yeah they want, a big they, brother let's be right. a bigger one.
0: They want another walled garden because you know their, exactly. their ability to sort of handle all content moderation on their own worked out so well. So why, why yeah. wouldn't we repeat the process? Uh, I assume from Microsoft you're you're bullish on this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think what Satya Nadella has done is remarkable. And you know, I had a privilege of working. And it started before Nadella, to be fair. This guy, Chi Lu, um, who was also the guy who created Bing, um, doesn't get enough credit for what he helped happen with um, the tr- migration to Office 365, Right, which he, which he did exactly in the way that I'm describing. Uh, and i th- I, th- I do think they still have that within them and that they've got much more disciplined and focused they're bringing um uh, more commercial savvy to um uh to their decision making uh, and I think they that yeah there's there's good opportunities for Microsoft
0: I'm going to ask you one more and I'm going to throw it a little wider open uh Tesla
1: um yeah Tesla's I think well we'll see Tesla's still on the first curve right it's still on the first growth curve um so let's see how the it responds once the rest of the auto industry finally wakes up (laughs) and it's taken a heck of a long time. And then this is, this is a fine example of why it's tough for corporations, right? You know, I I was sitting in um, uh, business reviews for a a tech client that serves um, auto OEMs and the head of their automotive business, when challenged on Tesla said, well, don't worry about it. You know, in five years time, there'll be broken down Teslas at the side of the road everywhere. Right, there's some tremendous arrogance um, towards the threat, but I do think they've woken up. Things like Ford separating out their electric business, GM, I think, are a very interesting place right now. What they're doing, so I, 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 I think we'll see how te- you know, see what Tesla is in in five years' time.
0: Is there a company out there that I haven't named that you're like, oh, I really see them doing this right, or on the flip side, one that really worries you that is
1: yeah. doing it wrong. You know the the, um, the 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 firm that I enjoy a lot is Nvidia um, uh, and uh, Jensen Huang at Nvidia. It's like a twenty five year old, thirty year old tech firm, and by all by all logic, all you know, if everybody knows Clay Christensen and the um, uh, Innovators Dilemma, they should be dead by now. You know, they are exactly at the point where um, uh, Intel comes to take. Um, the uh, the GPU the graphic processor into the core processing unit and um, and they'd like most people would expect them to double down on the current business but that's not what they do what they do is they say look let that's going to happen let's look out and see some end markets we can dominate in the future and Jensen Huang the CEO chooses you know autonomous and uh, deep computing, uh, and crypto, and so on. And he says, let's invest in those and find problems that we can solve that nobody else can. And he shifts from being as purely a semiconductor company to being a software platform as well. It's a great, and of course, an 8,000% increase in their share price over the last uh, 10 years as a consequence. This is a really impressive story that um, doesn't get enough attention uh, in Um my view.
0: So one of the things we talk about in this podcast a lot is kind of tech regulation and, and sort of the need for stronger antitrust laws in the U.S. is a topic that we've covered multiple times. Um, I, you know, when the FTC and state attorney generals or attorneys general, which is how weirdly uh, pronounce, uh, it's pronounced, um, yeah. are looking at these companies, you, you almost could you almost could see a world where. They want the ones that have a strong corporate explorer culture are the ones you should really be worried about for monopolistic power. <laughs> Whereas, yeah. like if you're saying okay, Google doesn't have that, then you almost don't need to break it up, right? Because it's just going to do it. It's going to do it on its own.
1: Yeah, but you also got. You've also got. I, th- I think that's potentially true. There will come a time when it breaks apart. But 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 Google is still an incredibly strong resilient business model and it will last a long time and i think you've got to ask yourself the question about you know it is it is does it help us to have these platforms be so in control of supply and demand do they enable innovation or do they slow it down Right. Uh, and you know if if they are sufficiently open um, that they can treat their own innovations and those of other firms with an even hand then maybe you don't need to have a, um, uh, a policy or legislative, you know, uh, remedy. But if they can't, then I do think that's, that's worth looking at um, because that, that can really restrict innovation.
0: All right. So the last question is still on the regulatory front, which is um, in Europe, the EU has been a lot tougher on regulating big tech, right? GDPR, Digital Services Act, all that stuff. And in the U.S., uh, I think because of our just massive political dysfunction, um, we haven't been able to do anything. Uh, Ultimately, in terms of innovation, are we better off because we're not putting restrictions on the companies or are they better off because they're actually (laughs) allowing smaller companies to compete and, and operate and innovate?
1: You know, I'm, uh, I, I, I don't know that I know the answer. I will tell you my experience from my vantage point, which is that there is a lot of activity in Europe right now, a lot of corporate activity in Europe. I'm just back from um, um, Stuttgart, Vienna, Copenhagen, London. Also, I've been to all these places in the last two weeks. And it is amazing how many companies are latching onto to this story of we are reinventing, they're doing a lot of great stuff, uh, and I think that I don't see that scale of innovation uh, coming from many U.S. Co- corporations. And so I think we believe that innovation, that, that startups will always be there to you know, keep us going, that that's the, uh, the, the, the death of all companies is the natural order of things. And to some degree it is. But I think we also risk losing a lot of assets when we do that. And we've kind of got a little bit out of balance here. Uh, and that maybe the Europe is going to uh, move faster than we think.
0: Yeah. Who, who would have thought, but it's a pretty convincing argument. So, all right, Andy, how do people find you?
1: Um, you can find me at um, uh, changelogic.com. Uh, find me on LinkedIn, uh, Andrew J. M. Bins or, or com. Go out and... Uh, buy my book on uh, on, on, uh, on Amazon or a smaller platform if you'd like.
0: Yeah, let me uh, yeah, let, let me second that uh, books called Corporate Explorer: How Corporations Beat Startups at the Innovation Game. Um, highly recommend it and Andy, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you very much, Bradley.